Hello and welcome to the Exorcism Podcast. If you are looking to get really good at programming, then this is just the podcast for you. Being a phenomenal programmer is about so much more than just knowing a coding language. It's about being able to solve problems, understand the best tools to solve the problems with, and think things through with clarity. Well, good morning. Good morning for me, at least. It's Jonathan here. I'm with Ethan Hansen on the Exorcism podcast. Ethan, it's fantastic to have you. Uh, you are somewhere very different in the world, a completely different time zone. So uh, uh, for me, it's the morning. For you, it's the night. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Where are you at currently? What are you up to? Uh, give us a little bit of an intro into where you're at currently. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. It's it's great to be here. Uh, even <laughs> even if you've got to be up really early and I got to be up a little bit late, I'm I'm glad we can make this work. Um, yeah, I am. I'm here in Oregon. Um, yeah, West Coast, best coast, a little tiny town where where I grew up. And yeah, I, I'm on I'm on break right now from um, college from school. And if you want to know like how I got here, uh, that's a that's a fun story that I can I'm happy to go into. But that's if you just want the brief intro, there it is. Okay, awesome. And so, Oregon, uh, I'd love to visit. I think isn't that the home of is it Portland? Is it Portland? Uh, Seattle is Washington, if I'm right. So so you you're, you're neighbors. Yeah. I'm sure there's a bit of bit of rivalry uh, between between <laughs> two cities, uh, which we don't need to necessarily right. go into straight away. But um, how come how come you're on holiday? I thought I thought everyone was back back studying or, or back to work? What's, what's going on there? Is it just the, the way things fall with, uh, with term time and stuff like that? Yeah, actually, I know a bunch of other people who are at different colleges who are, who are back and they're in the swing of things. But um, my, my college has not started up at Case Western Reserve University. Mm-hmm. It's where I'm at. Uh, I'll be starting up in about four days here. Okay, and 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 Ethan, how how long have you been studying there? Like, wh- where are you currently at in your in your journey for, for for studying? Yeah, I'm a current second year student. Um, and although I, I tell people I should be a, a third year uh, junior because I took a gap year actually um, before uh, before I started college. I took a gap year during the pandemic, which I think was quite possibly one of the best choices I ever made in life. Yeah. Uh, I got to skip out on Zoom school <laughs> and I got to work for a super sweet company uh, doing some uh, stuff with quantum computing, okay. uh, which was uh, a story in and of itself. Wow. So, so, so now you, so then that must mean you were, you would have been at school um, kind of coming into the beginning of 2020, right? So that would be your final, final year. Pandemic hits and suddenly, I mean, you must have been what, like a term into, into a gap year or had you started your, your first year at university and were you like, uh, I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> what, what, how did that, what were the, like the detail details of that? Right. Okay. So, uh, yeah, graduated high school or, uh, I guess secondary school for you, uh, people across the pond. Uh, and that was, uh, like May, 2020. Mm. So right in the thick of things. Okay. And I started, I started my internship with uh, this quantum computing company at that time. And I was doing it for a while. I was really enjoying it. And things just were not getting better, you know, with the pandemic and everything. And I went, hmm, do I really want to do more of that Zoom school that I got like a month or two taste of at the end of high school? 
uh, decided against that. And I, I, yeah, with this company, I did some, some marketing work, um, which sort of naturally came out of, um, I actually, I've got my own podcast, uh, about quantum computing, which, uh, if people want to go listen to, it's uh, quantum computing now. Um, I haven't posted anything there for a while because I've been doing research, uh, at my college, but it's been, it's been a great experience doing that podcast and great to do this, this work with this company, um, you know, talking to people, figuring out the best way to explain uh, complicated science and um, engineering and technical challenges to more of like a business audience or like a a lay audience has been really, really interesting. But um, okay, so, so sorry, let's just, uh, let's just rewind um, pre, (laughs) pre technical issues. So you, so now you, you just said to me that you'd started like an internship um, with a company. So how did you, uh, but but you'd been studying up until that point. You graduated, and then you ended up as an intern. Was that was that like a summer holiday job? Was that something you had just thought? You know, it might be. I just need to fill my time. Like, what what was the story there? Yeah, it it started out as just like a summer thing, but then I, I extended into a full a full gap year. Um, but it, you know, it wasn't really like filling my time. I, I'm really interested in quantum computing. I think it's fascinating. It's got a, the potential to change so many things. Um, although at this point, I think it's a little bit of a race. I'm not sure which one's going to win, uh, whether it's going to be quantum computing that changes more things first or AI, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, with all the crazy stuff coming out of chat GPT and whatnot. It's, uh, it's, it's wild, but yeah, so, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. Like, have you, how much of you, how much of that stuff have you seen? Cause I've talked to people who are like, you know, fairly well uh, versed in tech and they're like, you know, I haven't heard about chat GPT. Tell me about this. Yeah. I actually, um, probably, probably, uh, not the greatest thing. And this is where I, re- I think I realized the potency of it. Cause it like popped up and I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Some, some sort of, you know, it's like, oh, blockchain, whatever everyone, you know, you kind of think is, um, yeah. So my wife doesn't speak any any one. Well, <laughs> she does speak English. Otherwise, that would be terrible. But um, we she's Swiss, so um, okay. so so English isn't her first language. And she has a little kids business um, and has to do a lot of marketing, um, especially uh, Instagram posts, newsletters, all of that kind of jazz because it's her own little yeah. thing. And um, anyway, she 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 messaged me the other day. She was like, "Listen, would you be able to help me with?" with some marketing material, like a newsletter or like a little, I think it was like an Instagram post where you have to describe, give a description. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to be honest, I really dislike, um, writing marketing or promotional material cause it takes like a piece of your brain, which is yeah, whatever. So anyway, I was yeah. like, Oh, let's just, let's just, I've heard about chat GPT for marketing. Let me just go. And I was super cynical about it. I was like, this is, this is probably going to be terrible. But anyway, so we, we gone together and she's sitting there and we, we like, we type in like, write like a small piece of promotional material, um, for an Instagram post, hit the thing. And we gave it quite specific instructions and what came out, we were like, this is amazing. (laughs) Uh, Or for my wife, who's not a native English speaker to be able to put, to put out marketing material and not Mm -hmm. for it to take literally about three hours for her to do that. Mind blowing. Um, and so I did English literature at school. So for me, English is like um, fairly, I understand English. I understand how to write it well and tie things together. I was blown away by that. So so she's now like all all promotional marketing material. She's like chat GPT. And I'm like, oh, 
we're just fueling the machine. <laughs> oh, <laughs> absolutely. It's terrifying. It is really terrifying. Um, sorry, little divergent move there, but uh, yeah, that was, that was, that was on me. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> that was, yeah, <laughs> my, that was my, that's all my fault, but yeah. Okay. So I feel like we're sort of, we're sort of like working backwards, right? We started like where, where I'm at now, like what I was doing like last mm-hmm. year, but if we want, like I can, I could do the whole story from the beginning if, if you want me to. Let's go for it. I'm up for stories. Stories are great. Go All right, it. perfect. So, yeah, I mean, like, I w- I'm born and raised in small town Oregon. Um, not, not the same small town, but I haven't lived, uh, until I went to college, I haven't lived in a city with a population over 2,000. So, what? Uh, that's... that's 2,000? Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I say small town and people are like, oh, you know, like, maybe 20, 30,000. I'm like, no, no, no. The nearest 20, 30,000... Is like a 20 minute drive away. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. So, but like, I love it. Um, I, I always was like running around on the farm, uh, you know, planting stuff, taking care of goats, chopping down trees, <laughs> all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, but like, as I, as I got older, I realized I really liked tinkering. Um, and so, I started doing stuff. Um, I've got this great friend who's, he's like an older family friend um, who is this brilliant um, tech, like mechanical engineer by trade, but knows everything there is to possibly know about like electronics. And he does like RC car stuff. Um, He's built his own RC planes, um, like, you know, during a weekend for fun. Um, And not like, you know, like, like from a kit. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, he like, he draws out the designs himself and then like, uh, uses like a hot wire to like cut styrofoam. Um, anyways, like absolutely brilliant guy. And he like, he helped me do some stuff. Uh, I learned some tinkering and I realized that I was like really slow, uh, when it comes to tinkering with my hands, because I like, I like getting things right the first time if I can like break it and then it doesn't work. Um, uh, but like I, I sort of started to know that initially. It didn't really like fully grasp it, um, and so like w- from the time I was like six years old, I wanted to be what every like six year old wanted to be, which is an aerospace engineer, uh, of yeah. course. <laughs> yeah, uh, I want planes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, except like everyone's like, yeah, okay, you want to be an astronaut? I'm like, no, no, no. Like I said the words aerospace engineer, and everyone went, who is this kid, and why does he know what an aerospace engineer is? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it was, it was all downhill from there, but that's, I, I peaked at six. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so like I, I just went through school wanting to be an aerospace engineer, studied math and science really hard, uh, got into high school and I started doing like an actual engineering program. My high school was pretty cool. It had like different tracks you could do. Um, and so I did the engineering and it was like the engineering and aerospace sciences track. I'm like, this is what I want to do. And I got into it and I found out that, um, it's just a lot of paperwork, right? Like mm. <laughs> I went, this is not what I want to do. Um, and it, I mean, it makes, it makes sense, uh, because you want to make sure that you've got everything documented properly and you don't want to like mess up anything because if you mess up something, a rocket blows up and six people die. Yeah. Uh, like but what I, High risk, no <laughs> failure type. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Um, and, you know, around the same time, I started, like, playing with some code, um, partly because, like, it's helpful for engineers. I'm like, I want to learn this. Partly because I want to do what, like, every middle school wants to do and, like, mm. make my own video game. Uh, 
And then I was like, okay, hold on. I like tinkering. I don't like the stress that comes with trying to make sure a rocket doesn't blow up. <laughs> uh, I sort of like coding and that's, yeah. it's kind of like tinkering, but you can do it faster. And if you mess up, like a server no somewhere dies. crashes yeah, no one and no one dies. It's yeah. Unlike, um, like submarine software or like, right. Yeah. Um, so I was like, this is cool. I want to do more of this. Um, so I started looking for, um, like, in high school, I did an internship with IBM, mm -hmm. um, and I did like software, and it was it was great. It was like one of the best summers I had in my life. Um, <laughs> I joke like I one of the biggest things I learned during that internship is that I don't want a one hour commute uh, with my job <laughs> yeah. because uh, that that sucked. But yeah. everything else about it was great. So then that was the summer between my junior and senior year. Mm -hmm. So I finished up school. Pandemic hit. Um, actually, back up a little bit. At IBM, I finished like a bunch of my projects ahead of time. So my mentors for this internship were like, "Go ahead and just contact somebody at IBM and be like, hey, 'Hey, I'm an intern. Tell me about the stuff that you do.'" Um, I'm like, "Cool." Uh, so I like went through the directory. I was like, "Oh, quantum computing. I sort of know what that is. That sounds interesting." I talked with some people at IBM uh, who were nice enough to like spend half an hour talking to this dumb high schooler who's like, I don't know anything about quantum computing, but I want to ask you questions anyway. That sounds cool. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and then I was like, this sounds really cool. And like, these people are super excited. And this sounds like sort of like, a, it's an intersection of three things that I really love, right? Uh, like math and science, uh, yeah, like math, physics, and computer science, which was okay. fantastic. Wow. Um, so I started looking into it more and I love podcasts. I listen, I'm, I'm like a podcast addict. I listen to way too many and there wasn't really like a good one for quantum computing. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I could do that. I can, I can talk to people. I can, I can run a podcast. How hard could that be? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and so I, I started up a podcast and got, got to talking to a bunch of people. Um, and then like, towards the end of my senior year, I actually had an internship lined up with a different company um, that was in New York doing stuff, um, but it was going to be like physical quantum computing stuff. So I had, I would have to be there in person. And then the pandemic hit and like, if anywhere in the world shut down, New York city shut down yeah. and like, that, that wasn't going to happen. Closed up quicker than a clown. <laughs> like, Ab absolutely. Yeah. So I was like, Oh shoot, what am I going to do? Uh, and then I got the, you know, one of those standard emails that's like, Hey, Ethan Hansen, I saw your podcast and I would like to have the CEO of my company come on your podcast. I'm like, yeah, yeah. All right. We can do this. I've done this before. Um, and, but I was like in one of these emails to this person, um, I was like, just as a, like a PS, Hey, maybe let's see what happens. I was like, it was literally like PS I'm looking for an internship this summer. Does your company happen to do anything like this? Uh, and this person who responded turned out to be uh, Catherine, who ended up being my boss. And she oh, was like, wow. uh, let's, let's hop on a call. And she was like, so yeah, when, when can you start? I'm like, oh, I was not expecting an internship offer from this meeting, but uh, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, yeah, so then pandemic like continued to hit. And I was like, I really, really don't want to do Zoom school. So I started, I, I'd like extended to a gap year 
worked with this company and it was, it was great. Um, I learned a ton. Yeah. Uh, gap year ended, went back to school, uh, started studying computer science at Case Western, um, which was, uh, which has been going really well. Mm. Um, just finished up the, my like third semester, I'm about to start my, my fourth semester. And yeah, that sort of brings us to here. This actually, this last semester, um, I have been, uh, doing some research with mm. a, uh, quantum computing group uh, at Case Western. Um, and so we're actually, we're getting close. We're, we're hoping to publish the results pretty soon. Um, awesome. but it's been, yeah, it's been an incredible learning experience. Um, I, and I'm still learning, right? Like there's a bunch of yeah. stuff that I don't know. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, had a, I've had a lot of experience for someone my age, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, it's so, so I've never spoken to anyone who's talked about or who knows more than what the term quantum computing actually means. Um, so from my very limited non-technical background and experience, <clears throat> it just sounds like it's computing on steroids. Um, that would be kind of the perception that I have of it. But, but maybe like, let's just dive into that and maybe you can explain it a little bit and maybe just try and bridge it uh, into, into real world. Um, so for me, Quantum com computing always sounds like defense, Department of Defense type yeah. spies, secrecy, like launching, you know, like it's, it's got that sort of mis mystery around it, mystique, you could say. And oh, yeah. so, so let's break the ice. I'd like to break, break down a little bit what that means. And maybe that would be something really of interest, I think, to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're right. Like uh, one of the big things that I've, I've talked about a lot on my own podcast and a lot of people in the, like, the industry talk about is like the quantum hype, right? And uh, we're, we're like, I don't know where we are on the hype cycle, but we're, we're towards the peak, I think. There's a lot of hype <laughs> going around. Uh, but yeah, so like I think that the best uh, non-technical explanation I've ever heard uh, for quantum computing Came, comes from this guy named uh, John Scarrett, who I had on my podcast. He's with Microsoft. Um, super great, like at communicating this to uh, like a wide audience. And the the example that he gave is so with a normal computer, uh, you, you've worked with Exorcism long enough. I'm sure you're aware. Mm -hmm. Normal computers run on ones and zeros, right? Bits mm -hmm. uh, it can either be on or it can be off. Nothing else. At um, the lowest level, at the lowest level, that's kind of what yeah. you're dealing with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so we can build all these crazy, complicated things um, from that. But yeah, at the lowest level, ones or zeros, which you can think of like a light switch, right? It's either on or off. You don't have any other options. Um, quantum computing opens up an entirely different like area that you can compute in. And you can think of it, instead of like a light switch, it's more like, like a Philips Hue bulb. Like not only is it a dimmer, like it can be like brighter or dimmer, like in between one and zero, but it can also be like these weird things that don't even make sense if your only conception is one or zero of like different mm -hmm. colors, right? Like if it's, if everything's white and black, you don't even have different colors to work with. Yeah. Um, and so like you can still, if you want to, you can still use a, and sorry, back up a little bit. This Philips Hue is like a qubit, right? Which is what we call like a quantum bit. Um, you can still use it like a normal light bulb if you want to, right? Like, there's not much fun in that. You're not going to get the crazy colors in your room for your yeah, you know, yeah. uh, crazy college parties. But uh, if you want to, you can just, like, turn it on and off, 
mm-hmm. um, which is, it's, it's an option. So what that's to say is like a quantum computer can do everything that a classical computer can do, and then also a little bit more. Um, you said like it's, your, your conception is it's almost like computing on steroids. I feel like that's a little bit off because that, like if we're looking at our ones and zeros model, that's almost like making just like a brighter light bulb. As opposed yeah. to like, there is a totally new way of doing things that doesn't make any sense in the old mm. regime. Um, and so what that does is it allows you to do certain computations um, faster or more efficiently than other computations. Mm-hmm. Some algorithms we have no idea, like the classical way is the best way to do it. It doesn't make any sense to run it on a uh, quantum computer. Um, actually, I wrote an article about this. Uh, do, you know the, do you know the classic video game Doom? Yeah, yeah, that was a staple growing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, so nowadays, people will like try to get everything you can possibly imagine to run Doom, right? So, like, uh, the the joke is like, okay, cool, it's a cool piece of smart tech, but can it run Doom? So people have gotten it working <laughs> on like Samsung smart fridges. They've gotten it working on like like Kindles, like not not even uh, like Kindle Fires, but like the yeah. black and white the, e-ink. The, the very basic, yeah, the Kindle. Sort of yeah. yeah, right. And so, you know, like if you can run, if a quantum computer really is just like a supercharged normal computer mm. and you can run Doom on a smart fridge, you'd think like you can run Doom on a quantum computer. Turns out today, like you cannot run Doom on a quantum computer. Okay. Uh, just because the reason it, is it doesn't talk, it doesn't like it, the paradigms are too different. Is that would that be a, the right kind of way of looking at it? No. So the way the right the the reason is because the quantum computers are just too small, right? Like mm. even though there aren't that many bits inside of a Samsung smart fridge, it's still orders of magnitude bigger than what you've got inside of a quantum computer, right? So like IBM just unveiled a four hundred and thirty three qubit machine. So 400, like, not 433,000, just like 433. Uh, that's compared to, like, the laptop that I'm running uh, this, this program so we can chat on mm-hmm. has a, in the order of, like, uh, billions of mm-hmm. bits of transistors wow. inside of it. Yeah. And so there's, like, there's this fundamental, or not fundamental difference, but, like, this, this scale of magnitude difference um, and you know, furthermore, it doesn't really make sense to run Doom on a quantum computer. It doesn't gain you any advantage. Yeah. There are only like there's there's specific things where you can get a like a turbo boost for mm-hmm. your uh, computation, but other things doesn't make any sense to run it on a quantum computer. Okay, wow. And and so just I've got a lot of questions around this. So so how so what Go like on, yeah. so. Are there different programming languages for quantum computing that speak to the light bulb dimmer vibe, if that makes sense? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, totally. Really good question. Um, so some people have gone the route of making like whole new languages. Um, notable example of this would be, or maybe two notable examples would be um, Q Sharp, which is sort of like C Sharp. Microsoft mm-hmm. has developed this. Uh, and Silk, which is sort of like an experimental programming language developed by, I want to say like ETH Zurich. Um, mm-hmm. It's like a like a research group has developed this. Um, it does some cool stuff within the realm of quantum computing that I, I won't bore you or the uh, <laughs> listeners with. Um, so those are like two like languages. But the, the main thing that people do is they will have a, like a, a package written inside of a standard programming language that will, can talk to the quantum computers. 
So some popular examples of this are like uh, Kiskit from IBM, Circ from Google, um, and these are both written in uh, Python. And then there's, uh, if you want to use Julia, there's this thing called yao.jl, which is just like um, uh, unaffiliated with any companies and runs in, runs in Julia. Okay. And, and, and Ethan, like the practical real world applications for quantum computing, like what you said, it's, you, you, you're, you're torn between AI versus quantum computing. What makes you kind of say that? Like, how do you, what do you see in the horizon of the future with, with regards to these different aspects, these different paradigms? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. Um, I think that, so quantum computing has a lot of really like um, really powerful long-term promise for things that we just can't do classically. Um, for instance, if you want to model something that has quantum mechanical effects, one of the best ways to do it is to sort of set up your quantum computer as a simulator, right? It's already ha it's sort of has the quantum effects built into it because it's a quantum computer. Um, at the same time, we're seeing cr incredible advances with things like Google's AlphaFold, which is able to correctly predict the uh, like 3D structure of proteins just from the uh, like RNA, I guess, that encodes the protein. Mm -hmm. um, and like that, that's something that if your if your proteins are small enough, like that involves some quantum effects. But they're able to just do it using machine learning and like a ton of data. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's sort of like this race of, well, which one's going to, because we are building bigger and bigger quantum computers. I told you IBM just released a 433 qubit machine. Uh, like last year, the biggest number anyone had done was 127, right? So like they're getting bigger and they're getting bigger faster. Um, but like it, we're still nowhere near what we would need to do the same computations that Google's doing using a ton of compute in like deep learning. Mm-hmm. Gosh, because I'm just, I'm just like, it, it sounds a bit like, um, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, like the, the program that they used to sort of land men on the moon was like frighteningly, say that right, but small compared to what we currently yeah. are used to now in our <clears throat> modern laptops. Like it was like kilobytes, <clears throat> the program which was yeah. used to. And so is quantum computing in the same kind of space where it's like the ability to wrap that computational um, capacity is still in in development, if that makes sense. Is it is it just that the technology hasn't gone enough down the line to kind of make it accessible to every person on the planet, if that makes sense, like in a personal capacity? Yeah. Yeah, I think... So there, there are some people who say that quantum computing is just never going to take off, right? Like, for some reason, they think that there's going to be a fundamental, like, roadblock where we can't build quantum computers bigger than a certain amount, and we can't, or we won't find enough useful algorithms for them. Um, and I, I've I've talked about this on my podcast with um, uh, some some very brilliant people, and what I've heard from them is basically that like the the burden of proof is on those people to say like mm -hmm. there's some fundamental law of the universe that says we can't scale this. Most people see it as like an engineering challenge. Like you're talking about like the tech stack needs to be built out so that we actually can um, have these qubits um, that are shielded from their environment well enough that we can uh, use them and they'll stay around long enough. Um, 
there are still some people who are in like maybe a like a middle of the road category who say, yeah, you're never going to have a quantum computer in your house. Um, it's always going to be in like a data center somewhere that makes things that you need like lots of compute, like big compute in order to solve it. Uh, mm. That's going to be in some data center somewhere. You're going to send a query to it and it's going to give you the answer back faster than you could with classical, mm. uh, but you'll never have it in your house. Um, I, I kind of think that that's, that's maybe the most likely. Quantum computers mm. uh, are, are really fragile, right? Like the world around us is a lot of classical uh, mechanics because in order to keep something in that, that quantum zone, uh, where, or the, like the right conditions where something can have those quantum effects, it's got to be really, really well controlled. And having that in like in your house with toddlers running around and like cats. dogs barking and <laughs> yeah, cats run across everything. Uh, <laughs> they've been running across everything since we've had like clay tablets from ancient yeah. Mesopotamia with like cat footprints on cat them. Everywhere. And, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, I I don't I don't see that ever being like super viable inside of a house, um, but it, you know it's possible. I I can be proven wrong about that. So so does a quantum? It sounds like uh, does a quantum computer need like temperature controlled, like no ambient differential in sort of temperature or static in the room, and like no noise? Like is it you say fragile, but why why is that like why why is a quantum computer fragile yeah yeah good question it's fragile because the in order to have a well controlled qubit um there's you have to have it in uh, you have to like shield it from its environment so you're right in like uh, most quantum computers today have to be really like super cold they use what's called a dilution refrigerator which brings things down to really close to absolute zero. Um, there are some that don't need to do this. Um, there are some like models of quantum computing. Uh, that, uh, that's another big thing that's different. Uh, in the past, with standard classical computing, we've had like one major mode of quantum of computing at a time, which was like we had vacuum tubes. And then transistors came about, and it was like they were obviously better, and we used transistors. And that's what we're still using today. Mm. Um, with quantum computing, there are at least 10 different modalities that I, I'm not going to be able to name all of them off the top of my head, but you've got uh, trapped ion, photonics, superconducting. Um, people are looking at like silicon spin qubits. All right, so the, like, I guess those are sort of the, the main four. Um, but then there's a bunch of other ones, and no one really knows which one's going to win out in the end. Mm. Um, so most of those, uh, I believe, uh, silicon spin qubits, superconducting, those need to be really cold. Uh, trapped ions are cold. Like, the, the ions themselves are super cold. The, the apparatus doesn't need to be cold, but they're super cold because they're held, like, perfectly in place by a laser. Um, and then... <laughs> right? Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like you can you can understand why I was like this is super cool and I want to learn more yeah. about this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. It's like and the, it's such a whole it's like a different thing to your terabyte gigabyte drive SSD. <laughs> you know, it's like it's on a it's just yeah. it's just in a different zone of of technology, I guess you could say. Wow. For sure. Yeah. So so now, <laughs> this begs the question for me that I have is You've done this internship with with quantum computing, right? So you you did mm -hmm. you worked for a company that specialized in quantum computing 
after high school. Most people would go the other way around, which is computer science degree, max that out, and then pop out the other end being like, I'm a pro, sign me up, you know, but, but you went the other way around. What was it like going from an internship at, at like a company, then back into studying kind of, would, is it right to say that it was conventional computer science that you kind of went back to studying? So you've now like, you've looked at one side of a coin and now you've got a completely different side of a coin. How did, what was that transition like uh, in your learning? Yeah, it was, it was, it was different. It was definitely interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I, I'm studying like classical computing and I don't know. It's not, it's not quite two sides of a coin because, or maybe it is maybe cause like it's this, it's still the same coin is maybe the, like the, the big takeaway from this, this analogy. Yeah. Because on, on the one hand you have, uh, once you like really get into it, you've got a fundamental difference between what we know about classical computing and what we know about quantum computing. Um, but like at the end of the day, you still have the sort of the same fundamentals of algorithm analysis of good coding practices, of good um, like uh, like understanding how to work together in a team, of like all all of these things are are going to be very similar across everything, and so like from the from the book theory part, the very very basics of um, like one of my first semester classes was uh, algorithms and data structures, and like no matter what architecture you're using, you're pretty much going to need to know those basic. Uh, data structures and algorithms in order to be able to write anything worthwhile. Mm. Um, But yeah, like once you, once you really dive into it, which I haven't really done in university yet, it, it will, I guess it'll get a little bit different. You'll start looking at the two sides of the same coin, but right now I'm sort of like, I'm looking at the coin as a whole. Yeah. Okay, cool. So it's, you haven't sort of drilled fully, fully into things. Um, and so also, like, I, I was going to ask this a little bit earlier. You mentioned you you grew up kind of on a farm, rural, um, outdoors, very kind of manual hand, you know. And now you now you spend probably a significant portion of time in front of a screen. Um, you know, this is the, the computer that you have is, is the, the object that you kind of rotate around much more. How, 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 how like... How do you get out of the computer world and sort of reconnect with maybe the more sort of physical world? Um, like, do you need that? Are you not too bothered? Like, how does that play out, especially considering where you've come from? Yeah. Oh, I definitely need that for sure. Um, I mean, like, sometimes I, I get a blend of it. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is uh, take the laptop out to our porch and, like, watch the sunset while I'm on my laptop. Um, if the weather's nice enough yeah. in Oregon, it is often too rainy, but, yeah. uh, so yeah, I think like some of my, some of my favorite things to do, especially in Oregon, like if, if you are planning, you said you want to get out here, you, if you're going to get out here, you got to go on at least one hike, uh, in the, like the Columbia river gorge area. Okay. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, I love, I love going on hikes. I think that's a great way to like, you know, reconnect with nature, mm. um, which is, it, it's important. I, I talked with someone who worked at the, uh, the company who was like, yeah, I like everyone needs to have something that they do that is basically entirely unrelated 
to their like desk staring at a screen job. And um, for for him, one of those things was uh, like just going on a bike ride, which, you know, another thing I, I enjoy doing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that's super important. And I would say like uh, hikes, bike rides, those are those are good. And and Ethan, do you, do you have siblings? Like, what's what's your family makeup like? Where where are you in the pecking order, so to speak? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I am the oldest sibling, um, and my my two younger siblings are uh, totally different. Like, not interested in technology at all. Uh, one of them wants to do theater, like uh, like as an actor full time, and wow. the other one wants to do. Um, uh, like lighting, lighting for theater. So okay. oh, <laughs> I, I'm, even though I'm the, I'm the oldest, I'm a little bit of the, the black sheep of the family. <laughs> uh, is, is there, is it more sort of like creative, um, like wh- what were the, some of the things in your family that sort of, uh, how to describe it? So you say like you're the black sheep. Does that mean like computer science technology was never something that was like big on the radar? Like how did you end up Obviously, you, you did the mass of physics and the physical tinkering and wanting to build stuff, and and there was a natural progression. But how? I mean, that's quite cool that your your parents were able to kind of coach you, I guess, into realizing that actually those things that you were doing were kind of suited to the more technical space. That's not that's pretty rare as well. Um, so how did that all play out? Was it just like your, the encouragement from your parents to sort of pursue that? And yeah, how did that all My- work? yeah i I guess i I say black sheep less like like outcast and more just like odd one out uh you're right like everyone else in the family maybe a little bit a little bit more creative um and more uh less like logical i think i think a lot in ones and zeros so computer science came pretty naturally (laughs) for me um but yeah i one of the great things about like my upbringing um uh, one set of grandparents of mine were uh, teachers um, for like the longest time. And I was able to, uh, like, they, they really encouraged learning. Um, they've been like contributing to my college fund since I was a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, we want this kid to, to like to do well and um, you know, be able to live up to his full potential. So I got a lot of encouragement from them. Um, and I, I don't, I honestly don't know, I think there's, there are a couple like turning points in my life. I don't know if I would be doing anything in STEM, uh, if it wasn't for this one time where my, I was like in tears over division. I was like learning division in second, third grade. And I just did not understand it for whatever reason. It was not clicking. And my grandfather, um, the, the teacher, uh, he taught it at like a, at a junior high or something. And he sat me down uh, one night after I was crying and he explained like pre-calculus to me or not, sorry, not pre-calculus, pre-algebra. Um, I, I'm like a second, third grader. And he's like, all right, so we're going to introduce this concept of this thing called X. You're going to solve for X by, okay, so if we've got like X times this equals this, what would X have to be? Uh, I was like, oh, it's, it's obviously four. He's like, okay, well, we're just going to rearrange it a little bit. So now X equals this over this, like this, we're going to divide now. I was like, oh, I understand division now. Um, so yeah, I, for the more like, that was like, I guess 
basic stuff. For the more, like, once I started getting into technical things, um, I've sort of been, like, the family IT guy for for <laughs> longer than I can remember. Yeah. Uh, I, I quickly surpassed the, the rest of the people in my family in terms of, like, knowing about technology. So it was, it was a lot of, like, teaching myself. Um, mm -hmm. I am a little bit, like, terminally online, uh, just constantly, like, reading things. Uh, one of my... Mm -hmm. Oh man, this is going to sound so nerdy. So everyone better be better be nice in the comments. But uh, one of my like favorite hobbies in probably middle school was like watching Khan Academy videos. Um, partly for that satisfaction of like, ooh, I got this much like experience points, and partly just because it was like it was interesting to learn about all these things. So yeah, it was it was a lot of it was a lot of encouragement and also a lot of like self study. Yeah, you you mentioned. I mean. It, you talk about division. I had a really similar experience with my times tables. I must have been like oh, seven, seven years old, and they were. And I remember they're like, "Okay, we're going to do our times tables," and it, the, it just didn't understand it. It was like it was like the neurons in my brain just hadn't, they hadn't formed <laughs> until someone explained that it was like, take three cows, and you do three times three cows. So that means yeah. you have. Three here, three here, and three here. And now you, how many, and then I'm like, oh, that's easy. <laughs> and then it, <laughs> it, it, the penny kind of dropped. But it's, it's been an interesting question as well that I've asked a lot of our guests uh, on the podcast, which is like, in terms of learning, do you find that you have those like penny drop moments or was there a moment for you when coding? Um, and, and that's quite like a a tricky one maybe to pin down, but I've definitely felt in my experience with learning to code in my, because I've been trying uh, for a while, just in the middle of life and kids and whatever. But there are definitely those, those penny drop moments where it's like, suddenly you're like, oh, and you've been sort of sitting in the problem for, for a while and then it, it drops. And I, but some people like Eric, for example, he's like, no, it just kind of, the information just got absorbed and just made sense. There wasn't no like eureka moment. So how, how, how is it for you typically? Like what do you need to do to get to that point where a concept solidifies and makes sense and you can integrate it into other um, aspects of, of that sort of coding yeah. problem or language? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And I think, I think I'm more like Eric in that regard of it just, at least, at least with coding, it just sort of, has always made sense. Um, I, there are a couple concepts I've had. Uh, okay, so like coding as a whole, like I said, I, I think in ones and zeros. I, I, I dream in binary and like matrix <laughs> columns. Uh, but, I, but for like certain concepts, there have been those penny drop moments. I think one of the big ones is with recursion. Um, for all of like, uh, I, I started programming uh, like, sort of beginning of middle school. Mm. Um, and throughout like all that time, I was just doing normal, uh, like I think mostly JavaScript, maybe a little bit of Python. Um, and there was no, there was no recursion. It was just like, if I called a function, I called a function. I'd never even like considered calling a function from inside of itself. And like, how would you like really analyze that or anything? Um, and so I got to high school and I took like AP computer science and had to like learn about this whole recursion thing. And it was just, it, it did not make sense to me. I was like, mm. 
what what is what does it even mean to like call a function from inside itself? So like I had to think about it for a while, um, and there, eventually there was like a like a penny drop moment, like you're saying, but I can't really I can't explain what made it click other than just like this persistence. I think maybe this goes to something that is really important. Um, I've heard this from older software developers that I've talked to, who have said like, there's no real like set in stone, uh, like characteristics that you have to have to be a good programmer other than like this, 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 he, uh, the main person that I heard this from said, I'm not sure that this is something that you can like learn or like mm. improve. This is just sort of like how you're built as a person, but you have to be able to like try and fail and try and fail and do that really fast and do it over and over and over again. And be bloody uh, minded and consistent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's just not an option. You just have to get up and, and get going again. Yeah, that's yeah, really interesting. Yeah, um, and that's something that like I've noticed in in everyone I've known who's a good programmer. Um, a lot of them, like it, like yeah, sure, they're they're naturally smart. They are they just pick things up quickly. But for most of them, it's like. Yeah, I I spent like eight hours trying to figure out why this function wasn't working. I'm like, man, I would have taken a walk at some point. Like, <laughs> <laughs> eight hours—that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time to kind of <laughs> put into something. But I, I I totally. But it is I can I totally relate with the the satisfaction of something working. And I think that's what yeah. I've. That's where exorcism has been really fun because there, there were times when I was like, and this is like on basic. This is like three exercises in from from Hello World, you know, like, and I'm like, this should be easy. It's e it it is easy. Keep telling myself it's easy, and it's not. And then and then eventually you get it, and like you're just like, oh my gosh, that was that was that was it. That was it. So no, it's I can I can found the semicolon. See. Yeah, it's that it's that dang semicolon. You know, every single time. Um, that's why I enjoy compiled languages a little bit because it's just like uh nope <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> go here look here so that that's been that's been quite 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 good fun i'm enjoying go at the moment well, uh, still I, I probably said this in if, every podcast yeah <laughs> if you if you like compiled languages and you like go and you like things that are uh like have nice error messages let me let me pitch a V for you real fast because this is this is why I'm on the podcast. Just, or at just least a how, caveat. How you just, a quick, just a quick caveat to all our listeners. Yeah. Um, v is in the pipeline as a language, which is being built by Ethan. It, we're going to launch it in the near, very near future. Well, Ethan says he's going to launch it in the near future, so I, I totally back his word on that. <laughs> um, and we'll probably try coincide it with the release of this podcast. So if you are listening, you must go and check it out. Um, but yes. Ethan, back over to you before I, before I reduce any energy out of this yeah. pitch. <laughs> it, yeah, it's not it's not ready on exorcism as of recording this, but hopefully, it, like we're we're waiting on one last thing. It's gonna be it's gonna be fantastic. Um, but yeah, so V is my my favorite language, um, hands down. I, like I said, I've been programming since middle school. I have tried uh, all like a bunch of languages. I have written in JavaScript, Python, Go, Assembly. I've done you know, like HTML and CSS stuff from scratch. Uh, I have done Julia. I've tried Kotlin. Like pretty much, like if you pick a class of language, and I've probably I've probably tried it. V is by far my favorite. 
Uh, it's very similar in syntax to Go. One of the things that sets it apart from Go is it's ridiculously fast. Um, so here, one, when, I, when I pitch this, I'll often say like every language has the yes but, right? So like yeah. Python, the yes is yes, it is super fun to write. No one, no one's going to be like, yeah, I hate writing Python. <laughs> it's easy, right? It's like, it's good for beginners. Yeah. Uh, the but is, it's so slow. It's like the, it's like the mini, the, the minivan of uh, programming <laughs> languages, yeah. right? Uh, C++, the yes is yes. Okay, we fixed the, the problem with Python where it's super slow, but it sucks to write in. There are a couple of people who are crazy who are like, I love writing it C in C, like bare C or C++. I'm like, I don't want to deal with that many uh, like yeah. <laughs> uh, memory allocation things and uh, null pointer errors, right? Uh, I think that V doesn't have any of those yes buts. It is okay. like... Which is quite you, a big claim. I mean, that is, that is, I, that is a big, big claim. So I, I will say I, like... The, the, the but about V is that it doesn't have a big community. And that's why I'm excited about getting it on exorcism. Because I think if people learn it, they're going to love it. And we're going to get a big community around it. And then people are going to rally around it. Because it mm. it's fast. It's fun to write in. Like, when I, when I think of like, how a programming language should like, work, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't really know exactly how to do this in V. I'm like, well, if I was going to do this, this is like the logical way. And I'm like, oh, that just works because it's yeah, a, like yeah. a, it's a logical programming language. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's ridiculously fast. It's fun to write in. Um, it's super safe. Uh, once the V page is up, you can see all these like uh, these things on the exorcism page. But yeah, it, I, I suggest if everyone go check it out. Um, it's so well, fun to write. If, if you're doing this, because uh, we're doing this um, 12 and 23 language challenge at the moment. So um, I don't know if you've seen it where it's basically yeah. learn learn a new language every month, which I think for the seasoned developers is a nice little nifty little challenge. But but this is the pitch for V. Get that on your list. Um, definitely. Um, so that, that'll be launching uh, in the near future. Um, so to keep out, uh, keep an eye on, on, on that. But um, but because often like with when you when you're talking about like very performant languages, Rust kind of comes up to the top of the pile there. But apparently, this is me just pulling information out of the the ether, so to speak. It's incredibly difficult to understand, like to to write or like understand initially, just because of the way that it's it's. I don't know if that's your if that's true necessarily, but maybe you can shed some light on it. But it would be cool yeah. to have a quick language that was fun to write, that wasn't complicated <laughs> you know maybe uh, listen i i know enough people who love rust that i'm not gonna trash talk it too much the one thing i will say about it it is it is not it, it's fast but it is not small um v mm. is super small it uh v if you want to compile v so v is itself written in v um yeah. if you want to compile v you download the source code v then compiles itself in under a second. Um, if so, like, if you want to, you can have V compile itself and then use the resulting binary to compile itself again in under a second. That's how fast mm -hmm. it is. Um, as opposed to Rust, which, if I remember correctly, takes upwards of, like, 30 gigabytes to compile fully and, like, uh, like an hour. Um, and so most people don't actually, they won't compile it themselves. They'll just, like, download a pre-built binary off of uh, like a distribution page. Mm -hmm. um, but if you want, like 
if I if I type v up on my computer, uh, it like it goes to GitHub, it pulls the source code, it compiles itself, and then that's how it updates. It's so wow. cool, so fast, so small. It's fantastic. Oh, cool. Well, that yeah, that that makes me excited to to get v. Um, and 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 as a language, just a little bit around it, like how long is it like been around? Um, how did you come across it? Um, any background information on V that would be of interest? Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly how long it's been around. It's not super long. It's a newer language. It's still in like version 0.3. Um, and so it's sort of like, it's sort of beta. Um, but I found out about it, I think, um, maybe two, three years ago. It was like one of the fastest growing languages um, and in terms of like GitHub stars or something. And at that time, and I still, I still do this a little bit, but now that I've got, I found exorcism, I, I do other, I do exorcism instead. Uh, there was, I've got a, I've got a GitHub repo where I have just implemented a factorial, like uh, the pro program to, or function to find the factorial of a number in a bunch of different languages. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to learn some new languages and this is how I'm going to do it. Uh, and so I tried V and I was like, Oh man, this is cool. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's, that's how I found out about it. Um, and I've, I like, I loved it ever since it's, it's great. Oh, cool. Oh, exciting. That, that, that's, that's awesome. Now, thanks for, thanks for sort of giving us a little bit of an insight on that and thanks for building it. I mean, exorcism, as you know, is, is built by, people like yourselves taking an interest in stuff and um you know we we really rely on that so really huge appreciation and thank you for for helping us out on that so which brings me nicely or brings us nicely on to how you got involved with exorcism and and sort of tell us a little bit of the story on that um and maybe we can just sort of dive into that for for a couple minutes and and then see where we go yeah for sure um, I, I love open source things. Uh, it's one of my, one of my big, uh, uh like claims to fame at, at school is I've gotten basically all of my friends to use signal, uh, instead of like WhatsApp or messenger, uh, cause it's open source and it's private and all of that good stuff. So yeah. I was looking for like an open source. I think, I think I used the website like alternative.2 and it was like, I was looking for an open source alternative to uh, hacker rank uh, and exorcism was one of the ones that came up. Um, and cause, Oh yeah, I know. I know why I was looking for that because I was trying to learn Julia. Uh, I was looking for a good place to do that. And exorcism was one of the ones that had a Julia track. And so I tried it out. Um, and Actually, I don't even think I knew it was open source at the time. I think I was just looking for something like like HackerRank, uh, where I could learn a new language. I started doing Julia, and at some point, I saw like a look at the source code for this page. I was like, "Oh, it's oh, it's open source." Uh, <laughs> so I looked around. I was like, "I wonder if they've got a V track." Uh, and I then I did some digging. It turns out that like some people had started thinking about it a while back. It wasn't, it was like still zero point two, version 0 0.2, wasn't even 0 0.3 yet. Uh, it wasn't really going to work out. Mm. And so I, I was like, hey, is anybody still working on this? Person actually responded, uh, which is, you know, if anyone, if anyone knows anything about GitHub, it's that you're going to find a dead issue somewhere and you're going to ask a question and you're never going to get a response. And I actually got a response. <laughs> it, it was insane. GitHub, like the, the big <laughs> ocean. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just right into the black hole, never to be seen again. Um, but yeah, someone actually responded was like, you know, honestly, I've moved on to something else. If you want the track, you can have it. I'm like, you know what? I could probably, I could probably do at least some of this. So yeah. I started working on it a little bit in my free time. And uh, yeah, here we are launching pretty soon, hopefully. Because we spoke a while back. Um, I think you you were in the middle of getting things going. So um, that was that was really cool to sort of touch base. But yeah. um, no, looking forward looking forward to seeing that that launch and uh, drumming up some support. So if you're listening to this, you you are part of the V collective that will need to be doing this um, <laughs> doing this uh, this first language track now. Uh, uh, and so, what are you launching with? It? How many concept exercises, practice exercises? Kind of what have what have you got in in, in store for, for for everyone? Yeah, it, it's a little bit bare bones. Um, no concept exercises, but we've got 20 practice exercises. And I believe the breakdown is like 10 easies, seven intermediates, and three hards. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. That'll be great. Looking forward, looking forward to that. Uh, and we'll keep everyone posted. And if you have any questions about V, please feel free to email Ethan. We'll put, we'll put a bunch of stuff in the show notes as well. I've got a great list that I'm just writing down just to remember. Um, just on everything, yeah. everything that we've spoken on. Um, e- email me, or cool. I I do check the uh, exorcism forum if you want to open uh, yeah. a discussion on there and tag me. Go for it. Um, so yeah, cool. And we'll I'll make sure that there's a category for that as well. Uh, I think we need to add a Sweet. we potentially need to add a V category. But um, okay, so a couple couple more little things I just want to touch on, um, and then then I'll let you go to bed, and I'll let me go and grab a morning <laughs> morning coffee. Um, I'm in Cape Town, everyone, which oh. is kind of very far away from. It, it's the bottom of Africa, and and like I love that because it's it's so far away from uh, a lot of things. But uh, I, I enjoy the fact that we're we're here. But um, I I did not realize it, you like, were doing this sans coffee. Uh, let me just say I'm very impressed. <laughs> that is incredible. I did it with tea. I did it with tea because that okay, was all they all had. Right. Like we're super snobbish. I mean, you probably are uh, knowing knowing you sort of West Coast Americans typically and this is going to be a massive generalization i'll probably get some go for some it. heat for this but but coffee coffee is like a big thing here in cape town we we are very very fortunate with the quality of coffee we have but i know that the west coast of the states also is very particular when it comes to to coffee uh, as a whole um actually i think probably most of the world is in the same boat um <laughs> you you were but, talking uh, about the the rivalry between Seattle and Portland. I think I have to give it to Seattle that they've got better coffee, but we have more bridges. So I don't know who wins. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great way of, of, of well, there's some interesting metrics to measure, measure the, <laughs> the, the, the coolness of a city, but we actually, now I'll have to give it to Seattle, unfortunately again, because we have Seattle coffee in Cape town. <laughs> so, so if Oregon coffee ever hits, hits our shores, then, then, uh, yeah, that'll be a that'll be a good day, um, good day for sure. So, okay, um, okay. Before we move on, uh, Ethan, any any specific roast or blend of coffee that you would recommend people try out? Any uh, are you that on that level of kind of coffee <laughs> snob? I I am not, but if you are ever in Oregon, you have to try Dutch Bros Coffee. That is like Dutch. born and raised in Oregon. Um, they started in like a little tiny town in the, like a little tiny shack somewhere and everybody loved it. And now they're kind of like everywhere. So, okay. 
Cool. Dutch Bros Coffee. Well, shout out to them. They probably won't ever realize that they've been mentioned in this podcast. <laughs> Unless, actually, of course, we just send it to them and say like, hey, give us a discount code for anyone listening. So maybe we could do that. Um, okay, Ethan. So a couple of questions um, that we kind of ask a lot of our uh, guests every week, um, which are kind of like our staple diet of, of questions that I, I think are really cool. Uh, especially when it comes to exorcism, trying to help people learn and trying to um, facilitate um, people positioning themselves so that they can get programming and thinking programming and coding and all of that kind of stuff. So the first one is this. Um, we have this concept of the hill that you would die on in tech. Now, that's that sounds probably a little bit melodramatic. Uh, <laughs> I think it is maybe. Um, but w- what would be the one thing, the one thing that you really want to hold fast onto, uh, especially in the tech space, or, or what value it would you would you really uh, defend? I think, uh, you know, we, we were talking about this like fight, fight for, but actually defend maybe seems a little bit more appropriate. But what would you say is the one thing that you were like, this is a key thing that you really back and you think is really important, uh, especially in the tech space? And it could be anything. Uh, it's pretty broad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I so my thing comes out of there's I don't know have you seen this on GitHub there's like a list of they're called like hacker laws. Mhm. Yeah, okay. So one of those is that uh code always takes longer to read than it does to write. Um so what I like the hill that I'm going to die on based on that is that you should be writing code or sorry, it is it is more important to write good comments and good documentation than it is to write good code. That's that's my that's my hot take for today. Cool, that's really interesting. More important to write um, good comments than good code. So I'm just taking notes here. This is gold. Yeah. Great. That, maybe that's less, you know, if you're doing it on exorcism and no one's ever going to see like your, your example submission, maybe a little bit less important, like write that function. But if you are, if you're taking the, the things that you've learned on exorcism and you're applying them in a job or in an open source community setting, definitely, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to die on that hill. Okay. That's really interesting because I think actually documenta- documenting things, writing good comments it doesn't it doesn't just help other people it actually helps you structure your thoughts in a in a logical um it's it helps you structure your thinking actually it's a bit like planning an essay hmm. um you 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 want to set out your introduction and 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 you plan that essay before you even write it and i think that's one of the things that we quite keen on um with with exorcism and and i hear it from jeremy a lot is that he spends more time thinking than actually writing code. And often when he writes the code, he's writing the solution that he's already generated, um, having thought through things uh, significantly. So the code is really just like the the fleshing out of the thinking. Um, and so I think that lines up nicely with with a lot of um, good best practice as well, which is which is which is awesome. So if anyone can take something away from today it's and you're learning to code and you you're in development um write your good comments use it to think map things out properly um it helps you and it helps other people so hopefully yeah, that absolutely. that makes sense that's a cool hill thanks thanks I've, for that i've what you're saying about like it helping you 
um, not just like current you, but also future you. Some people say like, you know, write code like someone else is going to read it. I always try to write my code like it's going to be me in six months trying to read it. I'm going to have no idea <laughs> what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. It's like what, like context. Context is king. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so giving, helping people get that is, is, is really cool. Okay, next question that I have for you is, um, can you identify key actions or behaviors that accelerated your learning? Or can you identify those behaviors in, in what you see other people do that have sort of, that allow learning to be, to be effective? Yeah. And I, I think I'm going to go back to what I was talking about earlier with like just trying and failing over and over again. Mm. I don't know if there's anything that is um, like, like I've explicitly done that has accelerated my learning, but um, yeah, it's, you're going to hit roadblocks, right? Like that's not, that's not a question. You're going to hit a time when you've got this weird error and you cannot figure it out. Um, <laughs> and I, so there's, I think some people are a little bit too much on the, like, I'm never going to ask anyone for help side. Mm. And they're just going to like, like my friend who was like, yeah, I've been staring at this function for eight hours. I finally figured out what the problem was. Uh, and then there's some people who are like, they hit a roadblock and they either like throw up their hands or they like ask someone else immediately. Mm. I think like my recommendation or the thing that I've had to do for myself, cause I'm, I'm a little bit more on the, like, I'm just going to figure this out. I'm going to put my head down mostly cause I'm like, I don't want to bother anyone else or be like, mm. look stupid. Cause they're like, dummy, you, you missed a semicolon. It's on line 13. I'm like, ah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> so like, like set a timer whatever number you think is going to be best, but like in the five to 15 minute range of like, okay, I'm going to struggle with this for X amount of time. And if I haven't figured it out by the end there, then if you have someone that you can like, if you're like a coworker or a buddy that you can ask like, Hey, help me figure this out, then go to them. Um, or maybe like stack overflow and you can, you can do the classic, like, Hey, stack overflow. I have a question. And then you just like get one down vote and zero answers. That's always fun. Um, or like something that helps me sometimes is I'll just like take a walk, right? Like if there's no one else around, I can't do anything. I struggle with it for that amount of time, clear my head, take a walk, five minutes, come back. Um, and I would say like, even if you're in a, like a professional software developer environment. Um, like if you're in a, if you're not in a place where they're like encouraging, Hey, just if you need it, take a walk to mm. clear your head, get back in the zone. Um, maybe it might be worth looking for somewhere else. Cause all of the places that I've worked that have been like good places to work have encouraged that, um, which is super important. Like mental health is, is, you know, like you can't write good code if your mind's in the gutter. Yeah, true. Very, very true. Cool. Okay, this is our final question for the day. I've really enjoyed enjoyed chatting uh, this morning. Um, okay, so this is the question. What are your recommendations for the community this week? And, and it can be pretty broad. It can be like, go swim in the Atlantic Ocean or Pacific Ocean. Um, go grab an espresso from Dutch Bros Coffee if you're in Oregon. What would be your recommendation for the community this week? I think, I think I've already done it. I've already said like, check out V man. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's so, so fun. Um, if, if you want, if you want something maybe a little bit, a little bit more fun, um, I'm going to have to recommend Metaculus. 
which is a website. It's metaculus.com, M-E-T-A-C-U-L-U-S. And this is uh, is one of my favorite ways to waste time. Um, I probably do it a little bit too much. What it is is a website where you try to predict the future. Um, There's a question that's like in 2025 or, uh, yeah, in 2030, what will be the total amount of electricity produced by solar panels in terawatt hours? And you're like, all right, here's my range. I think it's going to be between here and here. And (laughs) what they do is like hundreds of people go on this website and they all try to predict and you get more like the the closer you are to the real number, uh, the more points you get. And, uh, it's like a, they do it as a way to, uh, like help people think better about their, like their ideas of the world. Um, it's been really helpful for me being like, you know what, my, my bias says that this is like, I don't know, like 40% likely to happen. But if I actually look into the numbers, it's actually closer to like 75 and I would not expect that. That's crazy. Um, so that is, that's my recommendation for people. If you're, Either check out V, uh, and when you're done learning it, because it's super fast to learn, super fun, super easy, go check out Metaculus. Okay, cool. Well, that sounds great. Well, Ethan, really appreciate your time, this, the evening for you, morning for me. Um, it's been super interesting. I've The whole quantum computing, I've kind of heard a little bit about it, but I think there's like, I'm going to go and check out your podcast as well. If you're listening to this, um, we'll post uh, Ethan's podcast in the comments as well. Please go drop a like, subscribe, and get into it. I'm going to go and have a listen uh, in some spare time as well, um, just because I found this absolutely riveting uh, to chat about that. Um, thank you for all that you uh, contribute to Exorcism. Um, really looking forward to the V-Track getting getting launched in the very near future uh, as well. So um, loving, loving the recommendations. Uh, really nice to talk. And... Uh, just stick on the call. Uh, we'll round it off. But uh, Ethan, thank you again so much for your time. Um, and uh, have a wonderful rest of the evening in Oregon. Awesome. Thank you, Jonathan. It's been my, my pleasure. And thank you for all that you do for exorcism. I know that you do this round the clock uh, at 5.30 in the morning if you need to, <laughs> as I know from personal experience. So, yeah, it's, it's awesome, everything that you do. I appreciate it. And, yeah, thanks for having me on. Cool. Anytime. Anytime. Awesome. Cheers, everyone.